There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, welcome back to the Unplayable Podcast. Uh, the Aussie season may be over, but there's still plenty of cricket to talk about. Uh, my name is Josh Shonafinger and I'm joined by Jack Painter, as usual, to chat through what's been happening in the world of cricket. Jack, how are you? I'm good, Josh. Thanks for having me on again. There's plenty of cricket always going on. It never stops here at cricket.com.au. <laughs> so uh, looking forward to another big uh, county season, IPL season, uh, which culminates in a World Test Championship final and an Ashes series. So looking forward to a big winter ahead. Yeah, it's been a sad day for all of us with the Sheffield Shield ending, but we've had some Australia A stuff to sink our teeth into straight away. So let's have a look at what's been happening across the ditch. Um, Australia A took on New Zealand A over in Lincoln, and unfortunately yesterday they went down um, by three wickets, but there were lots of big performances that uh, are definitely of note. Uh, Matthew Renshaw, probably the, the number one, uh, scoring a century in the first innings in 78 in the second, um, what did you make of um, the match in general, Jack? Obviously disappointing to go down, but it was a match that Australia A were pretty in control of for the whole way through. You'd have to say, although they lost the match, Australia A dominated the game over there in Lincoln. Uh, we took 17 New Zealand wickets compared to the eight. <laughs> they took of ours. We declared twice yeah. and set them at a generous total on, on the fourth day to chase down of 365, which they got there quite uh, comfortably in the end with 20 overs to spare, seven wickets down. Uh, so they tried to replicate English conditions. I think the pitch was a bit flatter than what they might have hoped for. There was a bit of rain on the first first day, which might have took that uh, moisture out of, out of the pitch early on and then those divots couldn't form. Uh, but overall, it was a pretty good hit out, some solid performances with the bat. Tim Ward and Nathan McSweeney, who captained the side in that first game, both got two half centuries. Wes Agar and Spencer Johnson took four wickets each. So uh, it was a good contest. Uh, unfortunately, our boys went down. But uh, I think uh, if you look across the, the entire four days, Australia definitely dominated uh, most of the play. Yeah, and I think you'd rather see that from McSweeney, the captain. You'd rather see him make a bold declaration, which was at the end of day three, uh, rather than just bat and bat and bat and have no contest. Uh, he gave his bowlers a good chance, gave him a full day to bowl New Zealand day out, and they unfortunately just couldn't do it. But I think that was the right move from him. Yeah. As, as he said, they're not they're going over there to win two games. They don't want to go over there and play play out two draws. Otherwise, it's not real no real point of, of going over. You want to see exciting cricket, yeah. uh, both teams having a chance to to win the game, which was certainly the case in that last day. Uh, all reports, uh, Mitch Swepson bowled well uh, with the Dukes ball, got some nice drift uh, over there. But, uh, yeah, in the end, um, they go, got over the line, uh, but certainly a, a good game of cricket for the, all those who were over there and, and watched it. Yeah, when I was tuned into the live stream, it looked like he... Also, it was a bit unlucky. Swepson, maybe a catch or two, went down off his bowling as well. So his final figures were three for 121 in that second innings. Uh, Xavier Bartlett as well bowled well. He got three for 78, uh, but New Zealand got there with three wickets in hand. Uh, there were three players on the bench. Uh, off the top of my head, Mitch Perry, 
Jordan Buckingham and Caleb Jewell. Uh, do we reckon those three are going to get a crack in game two or is it going to be the status quo as Aaron Hardy comes into captain, do you think, Jack? I think they'll mix it up. It wouldn't be much point taking those guys over there without really playing yeah. them, although Caleb Jewell and Jordan Buckingham were late inclusions into that squad. Mm-hmm. But I imagine they'll they'll get a run in that second game. We've seen you know performances from Wes Agar and Spencer Johnson. They did quite well, so whether... They swap them out or whether they selectors want to have another look at Spencer Johnson potentially as a, a standby player for Mitchell Stark should he go down in the ashes. Uh, he's certainly, you know, this, since the big bash and the back half of this Shield season, he's um, set the world alight. So he's bowling beautifully. Uh, whether one of the batters gets a rest um, and they bring in, in Jewel at the top of the order. T. Wiley struggled. He got a 14 in the first innings and a second ball duck in the Second innings, uh, opening the batting, which he's done throughout his junior career, did it for Australia under-19s at the World Cup last year. So it's certainly uh, no surprise to see him up there, but given they had Tim Ward at number three and he scored two half-centuries, perhaps uh, they might put him up there for the second game or Caleb Jewell might mm. go up. So plenty of plenty of openers in that squad, um, whether they have another look at Wiley or, or bring Jewel in is a, is a good question. So do, do we think the selectors see Wiley long-term as an opener? Obviously, he's been batting number three for Western Australia, but perhaps opening is where they want him long-term? I, I think so. When we had him on the podcast before the Shield final, he said he likes to bat up the top, so he definitely loves batting number three. Obviously, they'll bat where, wherever they get an opportunity, but um, yeah, he he's certainly feels most comfortable at the top and, and that's where he's spent most of his career. So... I think potentially uh, you look at uh, someone like Will Pukowski who played a test match mm. a couple of seasons ago. He was an opener, long-term option. So Wiley's definitely in in that camp, I think, someone yeah. they see potentially taking over from uh, Usman Khawaja and David Warner. Okay, okay. Uh, I just wanted to leave uh, this match with a great stat from our colleague Louis Cameron. Uh, Matty Renshaw had faced only 16 balls in two months for this match. Obviously, he played a couple of tests over in India but missed that back half of the Shield season and uh, after the Big Bash had, had just been 16 deliveries. But he, he showed that he doesn't need time in the middle to score runs. Exactly. And Louis spoke to Matt last night, I think, so there'll be a piece coming out on the cricket.com.au website shortly. But uh, he didn't get much of an opportunity in India. You know, really tough tracks to bat on. Uh, he's in great form. He's been dominating the Shield competition for the last two seasons, uh, if not more than that. So he'll definitely be in calculations come that Ashes squad announcements very soon. Yeah, wouldn't be surprised to see him in that squad, I wouldn't think. Over to the Marsh Sheffield Shield final and Western Australia went back to back. Uh, They were the dominant team all year and it looked like they were just going to walk it in. It was going to be a cakewalk for them. But then in the final round, Victoria knocked them off at home and all of a sudden we've got a contest in the final and it didn't turn out to be that way, unfortunately. Western Australia wrapped it up, I think, on the fourth day. Uh, obviously, we get five days in the final. Um, but there was one standout performance, and he was player of the match. He was Ashton Turner, who really hasn't seen any red ball cricket over the last little bit, but he produced with a 128, and it was a defining innings in the match, Jack. What a story that is. He hadn't played for two and a half years in the red ball format before the final round against Victoria, uh, brought back in after the retirement of Sean Marsh and he scored 128 in the final. He's just a big game player, isn't, isn't <laughs> he? We've is. seen him do it for the Scorchers, the WA side and the one-day cup and now he's done in the Sheffield Shield final and it was an incredible knock. It really turned the game because when he came in, um, WA was struggling. They were four for 53. Uh, Mitch Perry just taken a blinder to dismiss Hilton Cartwright 
yes. for I think it was a 19-ball duck and <laughs> WA were wobbling. You know, Victoria had only made 195, but 453, WA were on the ropes as they were in the final the previous year. But uh, this side just has so many performers that can stand up. Like they identify the, the clutch moment in the game and they just stand up and someone always turns in a dominant performance to get their side over the line. And that's a, that's why they've been so successful these last two years. They've just got a squad of performers that are ready to go at any moment. I'm not saying he should be in calculations for the Ashes squad, but Ashton Turner, I mean, he has to come back into possibly selection for the one day and T20 sides of Australia. Is that what we're thinking? I mean, his performances over the Big Bash last few years have been too good to ignore. Certainly, I think so. And his leadership is second to none. He's uh, one of the, without being a captain of Australia, he's one of the more um, you know experienced leaders in Australian cricket. Um, and he's built that reputation through the Scorchers and, and the one-day side for WA. I, I think he does. His form uh, has been pretty solid across both of those big bash campaigns, but it's just it stands up in the pressure moments. Mm. And um, when all the chips are on the table, he's, he's the one that you'd probably have, you know, wanting to bat for your life, I guess. And, you know, in, in those situations, he's, he just identifies the, the moment of when to, you know, pull the trigger and, um, you know, we've seen him do it countless times and, and now he's done it uh, in the longer format. So, um, yeah, I think definitely his name will be thrown up. Mm. Perhaps not, in my opinion, uh, as a captaincy option, it'd be a bit hard to come yep. straight in and captain the side. Okay, George uh, Bailey style. Yeah, so I think that that would be a bit, uh, difficult, but not saying that he he hasn't uh, got the experience and credentials to do it. Um, but I just think get him in the side first, mm. and then look to see um, down the track whether he's the yeah. right fit for captain. Yeah. Okay. Well, and he's got a good record in India as well. So watch this space for that ODI World Cup squad. Um, Will Sutherland was the other big performer from that final five wicket haul in the first innings at uh, eighty three in the second. Unfortunately, he's had to pull out of his stint with Essex in the county championships through injury, but um, the raps on him have been big for a while. He's a favourite of this podcast and he keeps delivering. <laughs> now, this is another remarkable story. So he, I was speaking to him after the final and he actually felt his back. Uh, he knew he'd done something in the game prior against WA at the Wacker. Right. So he went into that game knowing that he had a bit of an issue there and then he bowled through that first innings, took five wickets, another five-wicket hole in the Shield final. He did the same last year. Yeah, that's right. With the... Uh, you know, stress fracture in his back, which was later <laughs> diagnosed, and then came out in the second innings and made 83 off 84 and put Victoria back into the, into the game, which sort of gave them a little little glimmer of hope, uh, which was quickly extinguished by <laughs> WA. But without his 83 in the second innings, that game would have been over a lot sooner. Yeah, well, um, he's definitely a star of the future. Oh, he's already a star. But let's have a look at the county championship players. Who has replaced him at Essex? Uh, not an Aussie, so we won't worry about that. Uh, um We've got a few players over there, though. 13 players are playing Red Bull County stuff, um, and those who aren't on the A-Tour have generally um, got a – in general, they've got a, a contract to um, keep them in the frame for Ashes in case any of the main contenders fall out of place. So do you want to run through who we've got there, Jack, and who to look out for and who's knocking on the door of that Ashes squad? So we're just talking about Red Bull here, which starts tonight, Thursday night, Australian time. Is that right? Uh, right. Sorry, yeah. today is. Well, we are recording on Wednesday, but it'll be Thursday by the time yeah. this is released. Which, uh, yeah, starts on Thursday night. So uh, Durham, we've got uh, Matthew Kuhneman, uh, Glamorgan, uh, some regulars there. We've got Marnus Labashain and, and Michael Nisa. Gloucestershire, Marcus Harris returns back for another season there. 
Leicestershire, Peter Hanscom is going over. He'll be there for April and May to try and push his Ashes chances. Mm-hmm. Sam Whiteman is going to Northamptonshire and he'll be joined by Chris Tremaine for the first two uh, for first three games uh, and then before he's replaced by Lance Morris in May, he'll be looking to push his Ashes chances having been around the squad for the Australian summer and also the Tour of India. Somerset, Peter Siddle is back there. Cameron Bancroft, another one who's hoping to push his Ashes hopes. At Surrey, we've got Sean Abbott and then Dan Worrell, who didn't play in the domestic summer this year, but is a local player on a UK passport for Surrey. He's got a, uh, another season there. Sussex is Nathan McAndrew and Steve Smith, the big signing from Australia. He goes over for a county campaign. Yorkshire is another uh, local player for for the UK and Mickey Edwards on a UK passport. He's just signed a one-and-a-half-year deal, I think it is, uh, to play for Yorkshire for this season and the next season. So it'll be interesting to see how he goes. Hmm. Does he still have a New South Wales contract, Mickey Edwards? He did for this season. I, I doubt he would get one going forward into yeah, next season. Okay. He played a, a handful of games this year. Uh, obviously, his brother Jack is still there, but um, I think he's thrown all his chips in the in the UK basket. And I heard he was talking about the potential of playing for England if he goes well. So I right. think he's, he's firmly entrenched as a domestic player over there. Okay. <laughs> um, Steve Smith is obviously the interesting one. He's never played county cricket before, which I found a little interesting when I, we were doing a bit of research around his career. But Ollie Robinson, who's going to be his um, teammate at Sussex now, is obviously very excited, but said that he probably won't bowl to Steve Smith in the nets because he doesn't want to give away any of his um, tricks and the things that he's been working on. Um, so a little bit of, you know, intra-club banter there, pre-ashes. Well, he might not bowl at all then, Ollie Robinson. We know how much Steve Smith loves batting <laughs> the nets. So he might just be shadow bowling for Ollie Robinson at at, uh, at training there with Sussex if, um, if he's going to go about it that way. But, uh, yeah, it's caused a bit of a debate in the UK, hasn't it, as to whether mm. they should give Steve Smith a county deal because it's obviously prepping him for the Ashes, which he'll be coming up against England. So I'm not sure where you sit on this uh, camp, Josh, but you'd never see that happen here in Australia. I mean, has has it ever been um, broached in the opposite direction? Has an English player ever said to Tasmania, oh, I want to play with you in the lead-up to the Ashes? I'm not sure if that's ever happened, but I would think that if, if we wanted to get an international player into the Sheffield Shield, then why not? I imagine it probably has, but I, I think it's probably been quickly you know, sidelined. I don't, it's pretty infrequent. I mean, the last two overseas players we've had in the Sheffield Shield competition have been Ruantha Kalapotha this year for oh, Victoria, yeah. who has lived in Australia for the past five years but hadn't got citizenship. So he plays as a Sri Lankan um, overseas player. And then the previous one before that was Farwood Ahmed, who had come from Pakistan and was yeah. looking for to get a visa and obviously um, citizenship, which he now does. So he plays as a local player, which I imagine... Ruantha is going to do down the track as well, having you know he's moved his his life over here. So it's it's very rare. We've seen, um, but it what, is possible. It is possible. Yeah, each yeah. each team is allowed one overseas player mm-hmm. per uh, per game, I guess per per season. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely a me- mechanism there that allows it to happen. It's just I think given there's not that many domestic teams yeah, and tough, you know yeah. the talent pool is quite strong here. Uh, you don't see it very often because you're taking away, you know. For instance, your Mitch Perry's or your Will Sutherland's or your Teague Wiley's, those kind of players getting an opportunity. So if you bring in an overseas player, then they don't play as much. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Now you had some, uh, you jotted down some of the matchups that are going to be happening in round one of the county season. So who who's going to face off against each other? 
Now, these are all Division Two matchups, uh, but we've got Sussex playing Durham, which is Mc- Nathan McAndrew versus uh, Matthew Kuhneman. That's in Hove, which is Sussex's home ground. We've got Glamorgan facing off against Gloucestershire. Big battle between uh, Marcus Harris and Marnus Labashain and also Michael Nisa. Uh, presuming they're all over there and ready to go for the start of the season. Uh, Yorkshire, which will see Mickey Edwards versus uh, Leicestershire, which is Peter Hanscom's side. So that'll be at, at Leeds. Uh, so that promises to be an interesting mm. battle as well. Um, it certainly does. I think Peter Hanscom's onto his fifth county side. So he's certainly getting around. Um, but good luck to him if that's what he needs to do for Ash's preparation. Um, so there's quite a few Aussies over there to keep an eye on in the lead up to the World Test Championship final and the Ashes, of course. Uh, IPL, Jack, have you been watching much of the Indian Premier League? Gets kicked off a few days ago. Oh, I've watched a little bit of it, uh, not too much. I uh, saw Josh Butler, Josh, <laughs> saw Josh Butler smash them the other night yeah. uh, as he did last year. Uh, Aussie's been going uh, not that great so far. We can say that. Yeah, so David Warner's got some runs, uh, yeah. 50 in the first match and 37 uh, overnight. Um, so he's probably leading the way for the Aussies, but otherwise Cameron Green had a tough start. Tim David's not got going yet. And um, Jason Berendorf's been the impact player. The IPL have stolen the Big Bash's X Factor, rebranded it, and now made it their own thing. I did see uh, Jason Berendorf bowling the other day and, he was bowling okay, but those boundaries are so short over there. <laughs> I think I watched uh, Mark Wood bowl one on on someone's hip, and it just barely got above shoulder height, and it still went for six. So tough, uh, tough conditions for bowlers over there. But it's in the, I watched a fair bit of it last year. I'll get, I'll get into it a bit more this year. Uh, exciting competition. There's plenty of Aussies over there. So Mumbai, they've got a stacked uh, Aussie lineup. That's for sure. Uh, so be. If you're going to watch a team, watch Mumbai, I think, because uh, they've got all the Aussies <laughs> playing for them. Yeah, that's a very good call. Uh, Delhi Capitals as well, Mitch Marsh and David Warner. So hopefully we can uh, get a good contest when Indians come up against the Capitals. Jack, uh, before we uh, finish up here today, next week or potentially on our next episode, uh, you've got an interesting in-depth chat that you've teed up. Yeah, so we're looking at doing something on the uh, Major League Cricket uh, Tournament, kicking off in the in the US this winter. Uh, so we've teed up uh, Justin Gill, who is the managing director. Uh, so hopefully he'll be keen for a podcast chat. And we've also got a couple of others lined up. Uh, Brody Couch has signed as domestic player for he was taken in the draft by the San Francisco <laughs> Unicorns. Uh, so that is pretty exciting. So we're looking to do a bit of an bit of an explainer as to what the Major League Cricket is, uh, where it fits in um, the sort of global landscape of T20 cricket yep. tournaments and also the Australian influence because we've got uh, Cricket New South Wales have teamed up with the Washington Freedom and then Cricket Victoria have teamed up with San Francisco Unicorns. And there's some big names already signed. I've seen Finchie and uh, Mitch Marsh and Marcus Stoinis. Yeah, those are the Aussie guys. And then uh, speaking to Michael Klinger, he said a few of the New South Wales guys are also keen to head over. They're just waiting to get their contracts signed. But there's also Quinton de Kock and um, Nort. Nokia from uh, South Africa. Yeah, great gets. Um, and Hasaranga from Sri Lanka. Oh, really? So okay. A few big names heading over. So it promises to be wow. a pretty um, high standard tournament. Um, Michael Kling was saying that the depth, he was surprised by the depth of talent in America. There's a lot of domestic uh, play, players or players from other countries that qualify as domestic players. Mm-hmm. So Liam Plunkett is one. Um, Unmuk Chand, who was in the BBL. Right, yeah. 
last season. Uh, Corey Anderson from New Zealand, he's a domestic player. So they were, they were all taken in the draft. Uh, so there's going to be plenty of talent there and with an eye to some of them potentially qualifying to play for the US in the World Cup right. next year. Yeah, okay. They're hosting with uh, the West Indies. So. And what's the window for the MLC? What's When is it going to be played? Is it July? July, yeah. yeah. It'll be over in 17 days. So I think it's a pretty whirlwind tournament, um, all based in their new stadium that they're doing up in Texas. Uh, so they've converted a baseball, former baseball stadium into a cricket ground. Uh, full renovation, holds about 7,000 people, I think. So it's all going to be played there with a view to getting each team having a home ground by 2025. So that's been their biggest challenge so far is the infrastructure because the cities are already quite established. How do you find a spot to put a cricket ground, which Mm. is different to all the other fields that their sports (laughs) play on? How do you find a a spot to put a cricket ground in the middle of a city where it's going to be, you know, well patronized by cricket fans? Um, There is a lot of cricket fans in the US, 30 million I've read. So... Mm. A lot of expats from Southeast Asian communities. So there's there's a market there. Uh, it's just where do you put the infrastructure to support these teams in these cities? Yeah, okay. Well, we might have to open next week's episode with the Star Spangled Banner or something like that. <laughs> um, Jack, thanks for joining me on this edition of the Unplayable Podcast and we'll catch you all on the next episode.